Rick it, Rick it. Get down to business. I don't got no time to play around. What is this? This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Happy Friday to you. Short show today. <clears throat> Excuse me. We got uh, Cubs baseball coming your way. Cubs welcoming the Brewers to the friendly confines of Wrigley Field. 1245, Zach Zaidman on the air with the pregame. Pat and Ron with the call for you. Cubs fans here in Des Moines. I will get to the nothing burger that was Aaron Rodgers talking about underperforming rookies and the air quotes punishment that came down to Deshaun Watson. But we are two weeks away from game day Eve for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And we talk football in August because when the calendar turns to August, there are two things that we know. The state fair is on the way and we're almost done with the state fair. And so is football. And joining me right now, the man to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes from HawkeyeNation.com. Rob Howe is with me. Rob, happy football season. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it, Mike? It it has been a long time coming, and I know with Media Day and Kids Day in the back of the, uh, in the rearview mirror, in the back of everybody's mind, it's like, all right, two weeks from today, game day eve, knocking on that door, the South Dakota State game, dripping with intrigue, the, the South Dakota State game. But I'm glad to get you on because, you know, the last couple of times we saw Iowa play, and for most of last year, the biggest criticism was, well, they got a great defense, but boy, the offense looks like it's stuck in 1975. Have they rectified that from what you've seen in fall camp? Yeah, unfortunately, Mike, we only get one day, one practice exposure to it. And um, I will say the kids' day practice, I came out feeling better than I did going into it about the offense. And I think as many years as I've done the kids' day practice, you just kind of look for some balance where each side of the ball is winning some reps. And we got that on Saturday. And I think that's encouraging. That said, I think all of the offseason talk and, you know, what's going to change and simplifying the offense and all the, you know, the, the conversation about what can be better, we're not going to know until we see it on September 3rd and beyond. Is there any shot Padilla beats out Spencer Petras? for that job, or is it pretty much set in stone, kind of the way I think Iowa football fans believed it was, even before last year ended? We talking week one? Yeah. Oh, it's Petrus. How about week six? (laughs) Well, we'll find out one through five. (laughs) I do do think that Petrus is, barring injury, he's the starter week one. But I do think there needs to be some positive momentum about that offense that we just talked about. I think there needs to be some signs that things are moving forward. Not just him, though. It's the offensive line was not good last year. The running, as a result, the running game was not that good. And the receivers were not that good and are facing a lot of injuries right now. So it's more than just the quarterback. Obviously, he gets the focus. But all said and done, Brian Ferentz, Spencer Petras, Year three of that duo, it's time. So if, you know, and Iowa State's going to, you know, loses a lot, but that week two game, Iowa State will be good defensively. And if Iowa's not ready, the Cyclones could cause some problems. Talking to Rob Howe. You can read his fine work at HawkeyeNation.com. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Howe HN. You, know, you mentioned the running game. Uh, I, I'm a, as a Packers fan, I'm intrigued by what Tyler Goodson can do. He had 60-plus all-purpose yards in that preseason game a week ago, albeit a preseason. 
I think the dude can play in the National Football League. He was a productive back at Iowa. So who replaces Goodson getting the lion's share of the carries this year? I think if healthy, and I th- and he's back at practice this week, and he missed the first seven, ten days of camp, Gavin Williamson from West Des Moines Dowling, I think he and LaShawn Williams are one, two in some type of order. Um, I, I think it's going to be a fairly even split early on in the season. Both guys, I think, are capable. They showed that in the bowl game against Kentucky. And then after those two, you have a pair of true freshmen in Jazzy and Patterson from Florida and Caleb Johnson from Ohio, both who looked pretty good uh, at Kids Day and have gotten you know, some positive reviews from their teammates and coaches. So I think I was in pretty good shape at running back especially if Gavin Williams is uh, healthy. I don't know if they have a home run hitter like Tyler Goodson. That's the one thing where they may do better inside zone than they did with Tyler Goodson, but I'm not sure they have a breakaway guy yet. Talking to uh, Rob Howe, HawkeyeNation.com on Twitter, at Rob Howe, HN, about the Hawks. Two weeks from now, game day eve, they open with South Dakota State, then Iowa State and Nevada, that's the non-conference. The Big Ten opener is at Rutgers before the big one with Michigan. We'll get more on the the season expectations here in just a second. But when it comes to players, Petrus, Padilla, whoever, who is the guy they're going to be looking to throw the ball to that they can actually count on this year? I think there are a few guys, Mike, um, provided they're healthy. And we've had, again, uh, you know, Keegan Johnson was out. He missed the bowl game and was out all spring, all summer, and then just got back on the field, you know, in a, in a more, limited, uh, more limited this week. But he, at least he's back on the field. He's back in pads. You like to see that. Uh, Nico Regani has been the veteran. He's dinged up now and in and out of practice. Arlen Bruce has kind of been the steady guy. He hasn't, he's kind of had the right trajectory coming in last year as a true freshman, getting his feet wet starting to make plays. He's kind of gone the right way. So he's a guy that I would keep an eye on. It's, they're going to need all those guys, though. I don't know if it's just one guy that's going to stand out. They need some depth. And true freshman Jacob Bostic from the Chicago area, he looked pretty good at Kids Day, so maybe he can chip in. you got to remember, though, they lost Tyrone Tracy and Charlie Jones to Purdue. Those two guys would be, you know, at the top of the – depth chart or near the top of the depth chart if they were still here the offensive line looks albeit a little different from last year how do you replace an all-american <laughs> uh one of the great offensive linemen in a storied history of offensive linemen like the uh, baltimore ravens tyler linderbaum yeah mike i think um there's gonna be a drop-off i mean that just makes sense when you have arguably the best center in the history of a very storied program on the offensive line um, but you just hope it's not precipitous. And that's what they're hoping they have in Logan Jones uh, from Council Bluffs, who made the similar move to, to, lit, to what Linderbaum did, defensive line to offensive line. He looked pretty good on Saturday. And there will be some growing pains, I'm sure. Uh, but I think he's got a chance to be pretty good. And then what you hope is the guys around that are, are more consistent than they were last year. So hopefully... You know, that hole is maybe better than the sum of the parts were last year. Um, That's really what I think the hope is going forward. And I think there's a chance of that because the guys that are involved now are guys that have been on campus now for one, two, three years and have some, you know, experience, even if it's not game reps, at least practice reps under their belt. 
And I think that was missing a little bit last year. George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, among others, we could list off all the great tight ends from tight end university that plays in Iowa City. Is Sam Laporta the next one? I think so. Um, I, and you can, again, you can you name two, and then you can put them in any type of order that you want. I just I think he's in. He can be in that group, particularly at least on the college level in terms of production and what's needed. Um, he's he's a better blocker during kids' day. Thought it was interesting with the lack of wide receivers and and healthy bodies at that position. He split out a little bit, so I get the sense that they may use him in different ways in line, moving him around, who knows, maybe some H-back. I think you got to put your best 11 on the field. I know it's a cliche, but he is without a doubt one of the best 11, and you just need to find ways to get him free because I think he can make plays when the ball's in his hands and he's in space. Crazy Brian Ferentz splitting uh, split his tight end way <laughs> out wide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that... Look, you, you watched the games last year. I mean, I, and I look back to the Big Ten championship game, and I joke, but the offense looked like it just struggled to move the ball so much last year. And I know Michigan had a really good defense in that title game, but, I mean, I, I have to wonder, and, and you talk to Brian Ferentz, and you talk to Kirk Ferentz, and you talk to all these guys, they hear people like me and all of the Iowa fans screaming, jump into this century. What's the reaction to that? It's a good question, and again, and not to be a cop-out, but, um, you know, it, we'll see. We'll see, Mike, when it comes September 3rd and beyond what they're able to do. We've heard a lot of those buzzwords this offseason about simplifying things for everybody, maybe changing some of the, re- some of the route tree, uh, making it easier for the offensive linemen. That's kind of been the theme in the offseason is making it not so complicated, but it's been, whatever, 23 years of it being complicated at times and having guys and quarterbacks having to be in the system multiple years before there's an understanding and other guys as well at other positions. Have they simplified it enough to make it effective and then also keep defenses on their heels? You know, it's, it's more than just Iowa being better there. Can Iowa be better against the defenses it's facing because – Again, and I, I know you said it earlier, we'll talk about what the expectations are for the season in terms of games, but you know, you're replacing Penn State, Maryland, Indiana with Rutgers. Yeah, that's fine. But then Ohio State and Michigan come on. That's a big difference, especially against defenses. So the offense can't be a little better. It's got to be a lot better. Talking to HawkeyeNation.com's Rob Howe. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Howe HN. Other side of the ball, I don't usually worry too much about Iowa defensively. Where's the weakness on the Iowa defense this year? Good question. I don't think it'll be up front, and I don't think it'll be at linebacker. I think both of those will be salty, particularly linebacker, where you have three guys that are, I think, all up for one of the linebacker awards, which you don't see very often. (laughs) I think it might be the Butkus. We're all on the preseason watch list. So Jack Campbell, Seth Benson, Justin Jacobs at linebacker are going to be you know, they'll be among the best in the country. I, I feel comfortable in saying that in terms of linebacker groups. Um, I think it's the secondary. Uh, Jamari Harris is going to be out the first game because of uh, some off-field transgressions during the offseason, uh, drinking and driving. Um, and he, would, he, he kind of replaced Matt Hankins last year as a starting quarterback. I think he's going to be – he's on the depth chart, so I think he's, you know, doing his time and he'll be back on the field week two against Iowa State. But um, you lose Hankins. You lose Dane Belton, 
you lose Jack Kerner. That's a lot out of your secondary. That's a lot of experience. Riley Moss is back. I said Jamari Harris. Terry Roberts is back. New free safety, whether that's um, Quinn Schulte, a former walk-on, or who everybody I think is going to want on the field from the outside, and that's Xavier Wonkpaw from Southeast Polk. They're kind of competing for that free safety spot. And then at cash, uh, the hybrid linebacker safety spot, there's a few guys working in there. Cooper DeGene, probably the number one guy, but he's also working at cornerback, too, because there have been some injuries there. So I think there are guys there in the back end, Mike. It's just a matter of figuring out where they best fit and then getting some continuity back there. Should they be the uh, – well, I looking at the AP Top 25, the coaches Top 25 – the answer is no, but where do they fit, I guess, in the Big Ten West preseason? It's a, that's a really good question. I think the default uh, selection in the West, which I don't fault anybody for doing it, is picking Wisconsin. But Wisconsin had its issues last year as well and loses a ton on defense. I think the Badgers have three players back on defense. That's a lot to lose uh, for a unit that you really rely on, like Iowa. Uh, I think Minnesota's got – they lost some pieces on the offensive line, but they have a lot coming back. You know, I think it probably is going to come down to quarterback play, and that's not – you know, I'm not breaking any news there, but Peters has to be better. Tanner Morgan from Minnesota has to be better. Uh, Graham Mertz from Wisconsin has to be better. Uh, I think Thompson from Texas is at Nebraska. He's got to be better. Whoever can get some really consistently good quarterback play, I think a lot of the defenses are good. Purdue's another one. It's just a really wide-open West. We say that every year, Mike, but I think Wisconsin's come back to the pack a little bit, and everybody else may have moved up a little bit. So I think it's going to be really wild, and those, like we talked about earlier, those crossover games could really be the difference in deciding who wins the West. South Dakota State, Iowa State, Nevada, Rutgers. How many of those four do they win before the big one at Kinnick against Michigan? Should be 4-0. They'll be favored to win all those. I think the only two games that um, – is it two? I think it's only two games, at least from the, uh, you know, the futures that I saw, that Iowa is an underdog, and that's Michigan and Ohio State. So should be you know, favored – pretty decently favored against those four teams they play in those first four games. And then, you know, we'll see what Michigan does. Michigan's got a pretty easy schedule before that. So there's a really good chance that week five game is two unbeaten teams uh, playing at Kinnick stadium and has a chance to be that, that big, we, we, we won't talk media rights, but that big <laughs> Fox Newton kickoff. <laughs> if you look at the slate in the big 10, that Michigan Iowa game should be the marquee game that week. No chance. That's a night game. There's a chance, okay. but it's just so goofy now with who owns what rights and who gets what pick. It's hard to say, and Fox has kind of went out of its way now to make sure that its key game is at noon. So I think there'll be a pull there. It all depends on what else is going on around the country and how those first weeks shake out. But I think it's probably a noon game, 11 o'clock here in the Midwest, or a night game. Hey, Rob, before I let you get out of here, and don't forget, follow Rob on Twitter at RobHowHN, read his fine work over at HawkeyeNation.com. Um, what do you make of the Big Ten expansion with USC and UCLA coming in to major powers? Obviously, USC is one of the you know elite programs in college football or has been in recent memory. But here they come, assuming they're in the West, 
that doesn't bode real well, I think, for Iowa and Wisconsin and the rest. I think we're going to see more expansion, Mike. Um, I think it's going to be like a – this is just me guessing, kind of reading the tea leaves. I think we're going to have pods. I really do. I think they're going to expand more out west for USC and UCLA. I don't know which Pac-12 schools that will be. Um, then I think you're going to have kind of a, a western Midwest pod and then eastern Midwest East pod. I think eventually they get to 20 teams and kind of just break it up from there. I don't know if that – I think the goal would be to do that before USC and UCLA come in, maybe within the next year, maybe go four more deep and then make those pods. So essentially what you have is the Big Ten as kind of the overwriter of three separate conferences within itself. That's kind of the way I see it happening, but I've been wrong before. <laughs> well, Rob, I saw you. I saw you tweeting about Scott Frost assuring Nebraska fans that his offensive linemen are now puking fifteen to twenty times per practice. Have you puked fifteen to twenty times during this interview? No, not since college. Okay, <laughs> and that was self-induced. Hey, uh, Rob, appreciate the time so much. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to you again very soon as the Hawkeyes get closer to the kickoff of the season. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. You too. Rob Howe. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Howe HN. Read his unbelievable work over at HawkeyeNation.com. And he has plenty of videos up on his Twitter from Kids Day. If you need that Iowa football fix and you just want to see guys doing well at Kinnick from last weekend, follow him on Twitter at Rob Howe HN. All right, coming up, don't forget, we have Cubs and Brewers. Game one from the usually friendly confines of Wrigley Field, 1245 for the pregame uh, 120-ish for the first pitch. Danny, does that sound about right? Sure, just, you know, sure. Thumbs up, thumbs down. It's always 35 minutes after 35, we, uh, so 15, so 15. Yeah. yeah, 120. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> 120. 35 minutes. Yep. 35 minute pregame, 120 first pitch. Straight ahead, the nothing burger coming out of Aaron Rodgers' mouth. That's next. One zero two one FM thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Happy Friday to you, Cubs and Brewers coming your way twelve forty five pregame one twenty first pitch here on ESPN Des Moines. Game one of a three game set from Wrigley Field. I will get to Deshaun Watson's slap on the wrist, if at all. Talk about a guy who does not get it. We will get to that coming up. All right, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, so the other, the second biggest story this week, and I only know this because I did an interview on another radio station about this alleged bombshell of a story involving Aaron Rodgers. All right, my, my quarterback. And apparently, this is the, the biggest story of the week, of course, to Sean Watson and his punishment. But Aaron Rodgers saying that basically his guys need to really step up. The young guys need to step up. The new guys need to step up if the Packers are going to have any shot. I can't believe that we're actually upset that people are like, how could Aaron Rodgers call out the young guys? Well, first of all, everybody and their brother kept saying, you know, because the Packers didn't make any significant moves, and no, I don't think Sammy Watkins is a significant move, but everybody kept saying, you know, Aaron Rodgers has a problem with young receivers. And then when Rodgers comes out and says he has a problem with where the young receivers are at, people are like, Oh, my God. Did you hear what Aaron Rodgers said? You knew it was going to happen. All right? 
You were telling us. I mean, I go back to the game against the Niners a week ago. On uh, If you watched it, it was on locally here in the Des Moines area. If you're streaming us in Wisconsin, I'm sure you got it. Where Jordan Love was 13-24 to for 176. Two touchdowns, three picks. Two of those three picks, not his fault. Bad routes, drops, all that stuff. I mean, even Aaron Rodgers was upset with what he saw. I feel really bad for Jordan tonight because, you know, we had a couple, you know, total mental busts. We had a drop for a pick. We had two guys run who knows what on the third one. I should have thrown the ball there probably, but some of that's veteran stuff, making veteran mistakes. So we're going to shift that perspective, a little slight slight adjustment here moving forward because it's, it's getting close to that time where it's going to count. Yeah, it's going to count. It's going to matter. You know, more from Aaron Rodgers. And, and, and he just, he's, this isn't me, you know, Jordan Love apologist, Packers homer, guy who's got, I own six Packers hoodies. This isn't me saying, well, you know, this wasn't really Love's fault. And if the receivers would have done their job, because there's so many people that will die on the sword for Jordan Love and Brian Gutekinds. There are so many people who will trash Jordan Love and trash Gutekinds. When the fact is, if you watch, these guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And apparently, they're not doing it in the practices, nor in preseason games. A lot of mental errors, a lot of pre-snap penalties. Kind of in the theme of camp, simple, simple plays, we're messing up. So it's good to do it against another team. Um, I like the energy from the first first unit, but a lot of mental mistakes. What's wrong with saying that? You know, I know Shannon Sharp went after Aaron Rodgers over on Fox Sports 1. The next time I care about uh, what Shannon Sharp or Skip Bayless have to say will be the first time I care about what Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless have to say about the Green Bay Packers. I mean, the, the Aaron Rodgers has brought this upon himself, unfortunately. If he said, because Aaron Rodgers and his, air quote, controversial statements on whether it's he is immunized or vaccinated, he goes on these Peruvian jungle trips to crush ayahuasca, you know, all these things. Like, but Aaron talks. He gets on the McAfee show. He's in front of every microphone. He talks, whatever. Like, I'm fine with it because he's the most transparent quarterback we've probably ever seen in the NFL especially one that plays at an MVP level. And for whatever reason, when Aaron Rodgers speaks and says something that's out of the norm, we are crushing Aaron Rodgers for it. If this was Tom Brady, people would be praising Brady for his leadership. Unfortunately, some of the same guys. That's, you know, repeat mistakes are a problem. So we just got to clean those things up a little bit. The young guys, especially the young receivers, we got to be way more consistent. A lot of drops, a lot of bad route decisions, run the wrong route. We got to get better in that area. But I felt like the line, for the most part, held up pretty good, which was which was good to see. I mean, what did he say wrong? He we, we want we for whatever reason, Rodgers is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. And we do this with a lot of wide, uh, uh, star athletes, where if they actually say something, we're like that guy. He just doesn't get it. He's just not a team player. Or if they give you the, well, 110%, got to go out there and give it our all, and Lord willing, we'll be able to put together a good ball game. And then people like me get on the mic and say, you don't say anything. And we get out a bell and we play count the cliches. I'm guilty of doing that. So I appreciate it. And again, if that was Tom Brady or that was Patrick Mahomes, the national media narrative would be so different than it is because it's Aaron Rodgers. Because half the media has already determined that we're going to just dig into everything Rodgers says. I'm totally fine with what he had to say. The receivers did drop balls. Romeo Dubs did drop a ball. Uh, Amari Rodgers did run a wrong route. 
You know, guys are there are guys running routes and they're all winding up in the same place. Now, I don't know Matt LaFleur's playbook, but I am pretty damn certain that Matt LaFleur's playbook does not involve three receivers winding up within seven yards of each other. I'm not a football expert, but I know that's to be very, very true. And my guy, Leroy Butler, the NFL Hall of Famer, the inventor of the Lambo Leap, was on ESPN radio earlier this week, was on this radio station backing number 12. We're trying to win a Super Bowl. We've been number one seed two out of three years. We won 13 games every year. We're trying to win the Super Bowl. So I'm going to hold these guys accountable on the scene and behind the scene. Nobody's going to replace Devontae Adams. The guy had 169 targets. But catch the ball. Run the right route. I mean, that's all you ask for. So I did not have a problem with him. Because I know what Aaron is saying. My clock is ticking. I want to play with yeah. guys. They don't have to be all pro, but just catch the ball. Not that hard. You're, you're Romeo Dubs, the, the guy that's making people real excited in Green Bay. Catch the ball. Amari Rogers, third round pick last year out of Clemson. Catch the ball. When Christian Watson gets on the field, catch the ball. Randall Cobb, catch the ball. Alan Lazard, catch, catch the ball. There aren't too many quarterbacks who are more accurate in the history of the NFL than Aaron Rodgers. He's going to put it where you are able to catch the ball. Your position is wide receiver. Receive the ball. Catch the ball. It's not that difficult. I mean, even Sammy Watkins, who's been in this league for a long time, will admit that he's trying because he's one of the new guys. And we can talk about Sammy and his health another time. But even Watkins is trying to get on Rodgers' level. I mean, he's on a different level of, you know what I mean, wanting things the way he wanted done. I think if when you look at him, it's he's coaching just like the coaches. And he's on that field saying things the way he wanted done. And, you know, I had Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, but it wasn't this detail and this deep to where you have to know what you're doing. You have to know every little thing about how he wants things, how to run these different coverages. And if you don't, you're in trouble. And guys, you don't want to be in trouble. You don't want to be that guy that's been like, I can't play with him. I can't trust him, and that's what I'm trying to do every day is gain his trust. And I want to be out there on that field playing with Aaron Rodgers, and if I want to be out there, I got to know every little thing about the offense. Yeah, I mean, Sammy Watkins is not guaranteed a spot on this roster. You know, there's only, I think, two two receivers that aren't rookies that are guaranteed spots in this roster. Lazard's guaranteed a spot, and I think Cobb is because Aaron Rodgers loves Randall Cobb. I think Sammy Watkins is a guarantee. I think, you know, they drafted Watson and Dubs. Those dudes, guaranteed, probably going to make this roster, no doubt. But what Aaron said about everybody playing poorly is is fine. I mean, even Matt LaFleur is going to back Aaron Rodgers. I appreciate this about Aaron. It's just the urgency to get some of this stuff corrected. I mean, you can't make the same mistake twice. Not in this league. We don't have time for it. That's just enough time to get you beat. Certainly, he's the ultimate competitor. You know, I think it's good for these guys to feel that because we got to make sure that they continue to show progress each and every day. And, you know, it'll be a good opportunity today to see how these young guys respond. If you don't respond to Aaron Rodgers, who are you going to respond to? You know, if you don't respond to Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or you know, guys that have won rings in this league. If you're not going to respond to those guys and their words, get off my roster. Get off my team. Because Rodgers has been there. All right? Aaron Rodgers is a four-time MVP. Tom Brady's got seven Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes has one of each. All right? When those guys speak, you listen. 
And whether it's behind closed doors or he didn't call anybody out individually, he didn't say anything horrendous. He just said these guys have to improve. Run the right route. Know where you're going to be. Catch the ball. Hold on to the ball. And I believe, and I said this last year, we can go back and check the tape too if you want, but I said last year when the defense looked really bad week one against the Saints and then the following week and then the following week, I said, look, it's a brand new system. They went from Mike Pettin to Joe Barry. This offense, not a new system, but without Devontae Adams, they need new weapons to step up. I believe this offense by week six will be just fine. Now, I don't know if they're going to be a top 10 offense for the entire year, but I believe this will still be with Rodgers, with LaFleur, with those dynamic running backs and Jones and A.J. Dillon, with guys staying, if they are able to stay healthy by week six, this offense will be just fine. All right? Still going to start averaging 25, 30 a night. Luckily, Green Bay has an elite defense, a top five, top three defense in the National Football League. That defense is going to win them a couple of games this year. And we've never been able to say that in this era of Packers football. They were very good last year and maybe contributed to a win or two. You know, you can count them as a win or two in the back half of the season. But I think the offense is going to be just fine. Mark my words. Maybe not out of the gate. You know, if they, in their first four games, if there's a couple of stinkers in there offensively, I don't want you hitting me up on Twitter at Mike Wicked. See? Should have signed whoever. Should have traded for whoever. Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. By the way, Tampa's a disaster so far in the preseason. And Julio Jones looks cooked. And I might have been wrong about Julio Jones. <laughs> I may have been wrong. Still early. A lot of time left. But this complaining about Aaron Rodgers and his comments as the story of the day a couple of days ago. I'm like, come on, man. Relax. Everybody calm down. R-E-L-A-X. Shh. Going to be just fine. Promise you. I promise you. They'll get in line. Hey, the next day after those comments, it was yesterday's practice. The receivers balled out. Best practice that they've had. So, hey. Rogers speaks. The guys respond. They listen. Coming up, a guy who apparently does not listen, does not understand, does not apologize, and may not get it after all. Deshaun Watson doesn't get it. Next. One hundred two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicked. This is Wicked's World. Brewers and Cubs coming your way in about twelve minutes from right now. Zach Zaidman will have the pregame here on ESPN Des Moines. Pat and Ron will have the first pitch from Wrigley Field. Uh, that's coming your way at 1.20 here on ESPN Des Moines. Game one of a three-game series on the north side of Chicago. So, over on, <laughs> over in Cleveland, Deshaun Watson got his uh, final suspension negotiated. And I didn't know you could do this, but this must be part of the new collective bargaining agreement. You know Deshaun Watson. He's the guy that had 66 women complain about him, 25 credibly, that are all female massage therapists or masseuses, masseurs. I don't know what the right term is, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, massage people. Masseuses? Masseuses, is that what it is, Danny? I have no idea. I, 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 let's say massage therapists, all right? So then he settles with 21 of them because that's what innocent people do. They settle 
with 21 of them. So then we have the five, and one gets thrown out because she doesn't want her name, and the league comes down. I'm sorry, the, the, the judge comes down and says six games, no fine. The NFL appeals. You know Goodell wants the whole season. And apparently, I didn't know you could bargain for a, for a punishment. They settle on 11 games, all right, and $5 million. Okay. Is that about 2% of his salary that he actually signed for? Great. So he, re- he sends out the, uh, the statement yesterday, the written statement from Deshaun Watson. Look, I want to say I'm truly sorry to all of the women that, I have, that I've impacted in this situation. Uh, I apologize once again for any pain the situation has caused. My focus going forward is working to become the best version of myself on and off the field. Supporting my teammates, however possible, while I'm away from the team. I'm excited about what the future holds for me in Cleveland. Deshaun didn't write that. All right? Somebody else wrote that. Because when Deshaun Watson met with the media yesterday, following the 11-game and $5 million suspension, his true feelings about the punishment and the entire situation came uh, came out. Yeah, I'm moving moving on with my career and my life, and I'm continuing to stand on my innocence just because... You know, settlements and things like that happen doesn't mean that a person is is guilty for anything. I feel like a person has the opportunity to stand on his innocence and prove that, and we prove that on the legal side, and we're just going to continue to push forward as an individual and as a person. You realize what that said? Do you have? Do you realize what that actually said? Deshaun Watson maintaining his innocence throughout all of this. He pulled the ultimate bait and switch on the National Football League, on NFL media, and on NFL fans. And more importantly, to every woman on the planet. The written statement. I regret the... I want to say I'm truly sorry to all the women that I've impacted in this situation. I apologize once again for any pain in the situation. I take accountability for the decisions I made. That's almost an apology in written form, in written form. And then that comment there, maintaining his innocence. If I am a woman, I am livid, absolutely livid. Mary Kay Cabot, she writes for uh, a newspaper in Cleveland, works for ESPN, said she was surprised by his verbal response as opposed to what was written. It seemed as though he were apologizing to his accusers, that there was a paradigm shift here and that he was actually expressing remorse for something that went on in those rooms. But actually, that turned out to be not the case. He was very adamant today that he has done nothing wrong and that he is innocent. And he said that numerous times, that he stands by his innocence. It's not the note I was expecting him to strike today. I thought he was going to be contrite. I thought he was going to say, I'm submitting to counseling. I thought he was going to say things like, I know I need to change my behavior. And there wasn't anything like that. Deshaun Watson's garbage in my mind. Absolute garbage. And I agree completely with Mary. And I agree right here with ESPN's Mina Kimes. You know, he did apologize to those who were triggered. That's not actually an apology, frankly. Um, It is, however, the same language that the Browns used a few weeks ago, Dee and Jimmy Haslam, in response to the initial suspension. We apologize to anyone who's triggered, to the women involved, to anyone impacted. 
you'll note the passive language there, which invites questions like triggered by what, impacted how, involved in what way. I think the lack of specifics is frankly quite telling and for me at least reflects why so many people are frustrated by this suspension. The $5 million is fine, which is of course a fraction of what Deshaun Watson earned and you can't help but feel like accountability remains elusive. Here's the way this went down, all right? So the six game suspension happens, the appeal goes down. Last Friday, Deshaun Watson actually suited up in a Browns uniform and did play. I thought the Browns would come to their senses and read the room and not let him play. But before he played in the preseason game against, I think, Jacksonville, he goes on TV and he actually apologizes. He says, I'm truly sorry to all the women I've impacted in this situation. He faked out the National Football League with that pregame interview. And that was the only time we had heard from Deshaun Watson talk about this since he declared his innocence back in June. The NFL took that 12-second soundbite and said, sounds to me like Watson finally gets it. It sounds like Watson finally understands what he did was wrong. And you know what? They caved. They took the 17-game suspension that Roger Goodell wanted and the six-game suspension that was handed down and they met in the middle because they believed that Deshaun Watson, based on that 12-second soundbite, understood the situation, that finally they got through to him. Somebody got through to him. His people, the NFL's people, they negotiate down to 11 games, and they tack on $5 million bucks. Ooh, dude's got two fifty guaranteed. Who cares? It's such a garbage fine anyway. But they had to negotiate something. They had the pre-written statement ready to go from the day that they agreed upon this last week or early this week. It becomes official. Everybody signs off on it. And guess what? You know Deshaun Watson's camp was like, (laughs) yeah, we'll do 11 games, 5 million. Sounds great. The statement goes out. They're they're, they're high-fiving. They're cheers in, they're celebrating because they know they duped the National Football League. And the NFL looks ridiculous. Here's some more from ESPN's Mita Kimes. It's hard not to see the juxtaposition between, you know, Watson's statement saying he's going to be accountable for what happened, the NFL coming out, the Browns saying he's expressed remorse. His remarks uh, last week expressing some contrition and then what you saw there, which is his stance that he did nothing wrong, which comes across as unapologetic. It's hard not to see that and feel like the NFL didn't get played. Totally agree. I 100 percent agree with Mina Kimes on this. The NFL got played. This is the second time now the Browns have given a second chance. They're all about second chances, right? They're all about giving second chances. Kareem Hunt. And I I was shocked when Kareem Hunt got picked up by the Browns. But Kareem Hunt, who got into that altercation with a young woman uh, on camera in a hotel, uh, I guess, lobby almost, or in between in the hallways, got picked up. But here's the difference. Hunt acknowledged wrongdoing. Remember? He apologized for it. And what did he get? Eight games and a salary of 600000 the first year back. Deshaun Watson got $235 million guaranteed. 
$235 million guaranteed and has admitted no wrongdoing. It's a trash organization. I will never root for the Browns. I will. I, I don't care. I will. Ne- that is a trash organization with a trash human being for a quarterback. And and the Haslam's that have signed him to that monster contract, trash. That is a mistake by the lake. That's what Cleveland is. I can tell you how I really feel, but I think you figured it out. And on a positive note, have you seen the Christmas Day sports lineup? All right. I don't know what time you wake up with your kids. My three will wake up about 6 a.m. and we'll tear open all the presents and everything. And then I'm going to tell my wife, uh, you have to wa- uh, you have to take care of them because here's what we got all day. What, I got about a minute left here, Danny? Is that yeah. about right? Yeah, yeah. Noon that day. Check that. 11 a.m. Sixers-Knicks, followed by Packers-Dolphins, followed by Lakers-Mavs, followed by Broncos-Rams, followed by Bucks and Seas, followed by Grizz and Warriors, followed by Tampa and the Cardinals, followed by Suns and Nuggets. Tis the season for a great day on Christmas. <laughs> All right. That is it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Rob Howe from HawkeyeNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicked. Follow the station at ESPN DSM. The Cubs and Brewers coming your way next. Hey, if you're out and about here in the Des Moines area and you're going to be at the Disturbed Show at the Iowa State Fair, make sure you say hi. I'll be the tall, goofy-looking dude drinking a White Claw, maybe one in each hand. Who knows? Dodging those raindrops. Thanks if you've been watching on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page. My name is Mike Wicket. This has been Wicket's World on ESPN Des Moines. Have a great weekend. Cubs baseball against the Brew Crew next.